this series, I know you and I missed last week. As you can tell, we're sunburned a little bit. We've been on vacation, and I missed you. I promise I did. Um, I got to watch last week. Did our team not do amazing? Where'd they go? Rafe, you guys are awesome. Dave, you keep them straight, and I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. We've been in a series, if you're visiting with us today, I want to give you just a little bit of what's been going on. Um, Pastor Stan preached last week on hunger dissatisfaction, but we've been in a series called Fixer Uppers. Um, Do you guys watch HGTV? Okay. You want me to put this down, don't you? Um, In HGTV, at my house, it's either HGTV or the Food Network. Like, we got both of those going all the time. But there is this show on there with a couple that are married, and the, and the show is called Fixer Upper. And what do they do? They go in and they help a couple, usually, um, or someone that's buying a house for the first time, find a home and find its potential. Walk in, and it usually looks pretty bad. It looks pretty rough when they walk in there. And, and you can tell it's either dated or something's fallen apart, or it hasn't been lived in in a very long time. But they walk in and they try to draw this this picture for this couple of what this house could look like, right? What can this be? And in the process of the show, they go through what it takes to get the fixer-upper fixed up. And it's pretty good how they do that. And then by the end of the show... There's this giant screen, I mean huge screen, that they literally put out either on the sidewalk or in the street that the couple stand in front of and then they split the screen and there is their fixer-upper all fixed up. It's beautiful. And it's pretty incredible what this couple can do. And it's interesting because the lady is the decorator and she's kind of the stylist of the two. And then the husband is the one that goes in and he is the one that uh, does all the dirty work and he's really proud of it. He loves it. Tearing things up, breaking things up, busting walls down, busting poles down, whatever, brick out, whatever it has taken inside and outside. Does any of that sound familiar, though, to what that is in our life? How many of us this morning would sit and say, yeah, I'm kind of stuck. I've been stuck here for a long time. Some things I've let fall apart and I've just left them alone. Well, that's what this series is about. The first week we talked about envy to gratitude. Next week we talked about pride to humility. Last week, Pastor talked about hunger to satisfaction. And today, we get the privilege, oh boy, of talking about greed to generosity. What does that mean? Maybe greed has been that part in your life that has been broken. Or maybe it's the part that you've let get dated. You haven't kept it up. So today we're going to talk about what that means to go from greed to generosity. All right, we're going to dive right into our scripture. And our scripture today is from Mark 10, verses 17 through 27. So you can read along with me. So as Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No No one is good except the one God. 
you know the commandments. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. Remember that. Jesus looked at him carefully and Jesus loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But the man was dismayed at the statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. They were shocked even more and said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. So here we are. Uh, this man comes up to Jesus and says, uh, Jesus, what do I need to do to have an eternal life with God? What do I need to do? And Jesus tells him. And he says, but I've done all those things. I've done those things forever since I was a kid even. And so Jesus stops and looks at him. Now, I just had this picture of Jesus stopping everything walking around him, looking him up and down, staring him in the eye, really deeply looking at him. Now, I, know, I don't know about you, but if that were me, and Jesus looked at me that way, and I felt his eyes burning into me, I'd maybe say, no, n- never mind. I take it back. I don't really want to know what you think. But luckily, he didn't, because he looked into his eyes, and he knew him, and he loved him. He saw what was really in this man. He saw the, uh, whether he was being truthful about living up to all those commandments. He saw uh, the dark sides. He saw the shadows in this man's life. He saw the greed in this man's life. He saw what was keeping this man from having a relationship with God. And luckily, he loved him anyway, just like he loves you and just like he loves me. He knows us and he loves us. And he told this man, here's what you need to do. You need to get rid of all the things you have. You need to give all your money away, sell all your possessions, and give it to the poor. This man was dismayed. I'm not sure if it was because he was sorry he was going to have to give up all this stuff or it was because he was imagining the big yard sale he was going to have to have, but he was upset. And the disciples were equally as confused because at this time, wealth was next to godliness. If you were wealthy... It was a sign that God had blessed you. Now, I say that was in this time. You can still hear that on some television shows, that that's still the way it is. But Jesus had a different message. Jesus' message was, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're blessed. In fact, sometimes, if you're wealthy, that can keep you from having a relationship with God. (laughs) But Jesus didn't tell this man, give all your stuff away, give it to the poor, because he wanted to punish this man. Jesus didn't tell this man, give all your stuff away, give it to the poor, because he thought this man needed to live an austere life, uh, not be happy, not enjoy his life. He told this man he needed to give all his stuff away, sell all his stuff, give it to the poor, because he loved him. Because he saw that this was the thing that was preventing him from having a relationship with God. This was the thing that was keeping this man from doing exactly what he wanted to do, which was have a relationship with God. 
he loved him so much that he was truthful with him. He was honest with him. And he said, here's what you need to do. Your greed is getting in your way of having an eternal relationship with God. So the first thing we can learn from the scripture is that Jesus' love reveals how greed separates us from God. It's Jesus' love that shows us how our greed keeps us from having a relationship with God. So I went and researched, what does greed really mean? Because what is the first thing you envision when you hear the word greed? Scrooge. (laughs) Scrooge, that's a good one, right? And so the ghost has to deal with Scrooge, and then he comes back and he gives everything, right? He's generous because he's scared to death. That's what that always makes me think. He's scared, so he's giving it all away. Here's what uh, a couple of definitions, I want to read these to you because I think they're interesting. It says, Greed is a selfish want for something beyond one's need. Typically, greed is associated with wealth or power. Greed describes a desire to have or acquire something that is not needed to survive and is often the detriment of someone else. In addition, greed usually describes someone that cannot have enough of something. I just want to skim past that because if you saw my shoe closet, I already know y'all are thinking it, so I'm just going to say it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) The more he or she attains, the more he or she wants and is never satisfied. The more... He or she attains the more he or she wants and is never satisfied. What Jesus shows us here is that greed is also something that gets in the way of our relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? Greed is also something that can get in the way of you and God. Even when we follow all the other commandments, our greed can prevent us from even knowing God. There's a story that I remember as a kid. Um, I had a teacher, I'll never forget. She was my third grade teacher, Mrs. Hill. And she told us a story uh, that was very similar to this, and it was about a store owner. And oddly enough, I do not want to say this out loud, but the store owner's name was Stan. So we're not going to say that today. And in case, boss, you're watching, it's not you. Um, I'm going to just say John was the store owner. How's that? But she always used that word, stand. That always made me laugh. But the store owner was really good about not paying his employees enough. And he became a very wealthy man. But nothing was ever enough. Does that make sense? I mean, everything in his life, it was never going to be enough for him. So he would literally uh, not pay his employees the amount that was due to them in order to make sure that he had enough. Well, one day, God says, what can we do that will be enough? And he said, I want all the gold that could satisfy my heart. Okay? You got it. So the story goes, his bedroom 
was filled to overflowing with gold. And the story says he's laying there in his bedroom admiring the gold until he realizes, I'm hungry. And he has no way to get out of that room. There's no window, there's no door, there's just gold. What happens is the man dies in the room with his gold. There's never enough how many feel that way sometimes? It's like, I, I have to own that. When I was thinking about that, what is that meant for my life of knowing, Dee, when is it going to be enough? We usually think of greed in financial terms, but you know, greed isn't just money. We've heard about it from the Ponzi scheme from Bernie. We've seen what that means but greed isn't just about money or possessions. Wealth doesn't necessarily equate greed. Did you know that? You can be poor and be greedy. Greedy for time. Unwillingness to give up a round of golf or time of hanging with your friends to go help someone in need. Because, hey, I worked for it, right? And then there's a greed for piousness or uh, appearing that you are more pious than others. Sometimes you've all met people who read all the books on prayer, read all the books on scripture, but never pray or never actually read their Bible or read, go to every conference or uh, read all the self-help books, but never help their neighbor, ignore their neighbor. It's another way of being greedy, is wanting to just appear a certain way so that people will think that of you. How about greed of power? <laughs> Who laughed? Was that you, Viv? <laughs> Working to get one position only to start eyeing the next one. Because why where I'm at is not enough. A need to always be looked at as the authority. A greed for approval. Uh, always wanting to make sure people think the best of you. So saying the right things, doing the right things, even if you don't believe them or even if they're hurtful to someone else. Or maybe it's about always watching your Facebook page or your uh, Instagram page, see how many likes you can get, how, spending all your time uh, trying to make sure that people are approving of what you have to say. And then the hard part is that greed is often wrapped up in other deadly sins like pride and envy and gluttony. Because you have to stop in the world we live in today where my child knows far more about technology than I will ever know. Already. It's interesting because my cell phone, my father-in-law periodically will hold his phone up and tell me um, because he was a part of the computer team that sent the man to the moon. And he'll tell you, we sent a man to the moon with less than what's in this phone. Because it's never enough. It's never enough. So here's what I want to do. What do we, we've got little cards right here that look like this. Each of you should have one. And on this card, I want you to write one word that you know is the, the uh, who, who needs one? Raise if you need if you one, raise, let me know if you need one. V's got them right there. Here's what I want you to think while you're raising your hand. 
And if you've already got yours, begin to write one word of what is greed in your life. No one's going to look at this but you. But what is that for you? One word. What is that? Unchecked greed helps us to recognize generosity because generosity is the flip side of greed. You can't be generous and greedy at the same time. So what is that one thing in your life? What is that? The greed. What is that? Jesus' love for us reveals how generosity will lead us to a closer relationship with God. Let me put that up. Put that up there for him, Jackie. Jesus' love for us reveals how generosity will lead us to a closer relationship with God. Jesus didn't just say to the man in our scripture to give up all he had. He said, give up all you have and give it to the poor. Jesus showed him. Jesus showed him immediately. He didn't just set him out on a limb. He said, look, I'm going to tell you what to do with it. And Jesus showed him how to turn his greed into generosity. I love this saying, and I wrote it down. It says, when you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. When you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. That's right. When we have more than we need, we need to bring more people to the table so that they can share, so that we can give them what we have. So when we're looking at generosity, uh, we, we came up with a few definitions. Generosity is the habit of giving. Greed prevents us from seeing what other people need. Greed prevents us from seeing the need in other people's lives. But when we're generous, we develop that habit of looking into other people's lives and identifying what they need and sharing that with them. We identify that we have things that they might need. It becomes a habit. It becomes a way of life. Tithing is a good example. Tithing or giving to your church is a good example of both sides of that coin. Um, tithing is a habit. It's a, it's a way of giving on a regular basis to your church or to whatever uh, charity you support. At the same time, if you don't give it with the right heart, if you're not giving with the right heart, then it's just a task. It's not a habit of generosity. So generosity becomes a habit when you start to look in other people's lives and identify how you can share with them. I love this. It says that generosity looks a lot like unselfishness. Someone who's generous is happy to give time or money or food or kindness to people in need. When you show generosity, you might give away things, but generosity is about more than cash or stuff. You're happy to do it because you know that it's the right thing to do. So I love the color purple. Did y'all know that? It's my favorite. And about six months ago, I walked into my office. And, and um, if, if you ever walk into my office, and you're always welcome, um, I, I, it's, it's pretty eclectic from art that Jeff and I have collected over the years or being in ministry, things that people have given me or are designed for me. Um, but one in particular, one day I walked in and sitting on my desk was a little purple box, plastic box. 
could flip the lid on each side and open it. And it says on a little card mom had helped write, it says, to Didi from Gray. Now, if you don't know who Gray is, Gray is a little girl that belongs to our um, family pastors, Sarah and Scott. And Gray is one of my kids. I love Gray with all of my heart, but Gray knows it. But I found out later that Gray had found this box while her and mom were shopping. And I had to have it because it was purple. Now, what I have to tell you about this little box is that it was the perfect timing in my life. It wasn't long after I had lost my mom. I had been in this place of just uh, questioning the Lord. And I walk in and there's this box. And now in this box. I keep some really treasured things in that box. I have a hanky that my mom carried. I have a pen in there. I have some tags, just some dumb little things that all they mean to are just to me. They don't mean anything to anyone else, just me. And I set it right down on a little shelf that I can see when I'm sitting at my desk. But the generosity of a little girl was life-changing for me in a moment when I needed it to be. And all she knew is that Miss Didi liked purple. But that purple box is a reminder of God doesn't forget me. But it was a reminder because of someone's generous heart to think of someone else. So generosity allows us to experience God. There's a proverb from eleven twenty four through 25 that says, Those who give generously receive more, but those who are stingy with what is appropriate will grow needy. Generous persons will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's interesting to me that sometimes we think of generosity as something that only the wealthy can, that can give or that only people who have been uh, blessed with things can give. But sometimes what I've found and what I think we've found through our time in ministry is that sometimes the most generous people are the ones who seem to need the most. Sometimes those who need the most are the ones who are most generous with what little they might have. Uh, people who are in need know what it means to be blessed by people who give to them. They've been in those positions where they've needed the help of others. And when they need the help of others and others support them, they experience God through those moments. And so they're more likely to be willing to share with others when they see need in someone else. Sometimes we can learn from the people who need the most. And when we share with others, we're blessed by God and so that we can bless others. So now what we want you to do is take your card again. And I want you to write one word of an area in your life that you want to be more generous. Just one word. Only you know what that is. We've talked about what the area is we need to work on. But what is the area in our life that we want to be more generous? Generosity helps us reveal God's love to someone else. Did you know that? If you want to bring God to someone else, be generous. And for some of you, I know immediately you think that means give them money or help them pay a bill or buy them the next pair of shoes. <laughs> That's not what I mean entirely, although some of that can help. When you offer generosity to someone, you're actually saying God loves you just like that little box that I got on my desk that day. It was just a gentle reminder of God's love through what a little girl thought. 
And then there's big generosity. So several years ago in my career, uh, when I was traveling, I had the opportunity to do a television show with a pastor and his wife from a large church here in Dallas. And, and uh, I enjoyed working with them. But I remember being on the show with them, and they were requesting prayer for their son. I'll never forget it. His name was Stephen. And um, Stephen was 17, and Stephen had been hit by a car. He spent uh, 12 days in ICU. And it was pretty hit or miss whether Stephen was going to make it or not. And I remember that from, let's see, this has been 18 years ago. I remember doing that show. And I remember watching a father and a mother go live on television and talk about it. Well, let's come 18 years to this year. And now the son that was hit by a car is now the pastor of this same church. And this year, Stephen said, I am not going to forget what my church did for me when they prayed and they were generous to my medical bills. And the time that I spent in the hospital, I don't want to forget that. So this church raises enough money that it paid for 4,000 local families' medical bills. It equaled to $10,551,618 in debt that was completely let go of. Let me read that one more time because I had to read that like several times. $10 million, it's a lot of numbers. $551,618 worth of medical bills. Veterans came first. Anyone that was a veteran in the area, anyone that was a veteran, they came first. Then families after that came. First responders. All of those families of 4,000 families were taken care of. That's crazy generosity. But then you go on to read about the life changing act that was to those families. One family had a hospital bill that was $186,000. And obviously because of the illnesses, they could not work. They did not know what they were going to do. What this did is this immediately allowed them to start over. But here's what hit me in the article. is It wasn't just the fact that it was generous in giving. It was also generous in thoughtfulness. It was generous in saying, we're not just going to love you. I'm not just going to be here for you, but I'm going to show you the act of what that means. Many of us have been a part of that right here at Lover's Lane, right? Some of us have been through uh, some of Dawn's classes, Celebrate Recovery. Some of us have been through 12-step ministry. Some of us have been through grief ministry. Some of us have been through uh, what it means to be in relationship ministry, what it means to get married. But this church decided, I'm not just going to talk about it, I'm going to act on it. And then I sat back and I thought, oh, I can do that. I, I, I want to do something like that. And then I thought, wait, but do I? 
Will my greed (laughs) allow me to be generous? Will my greed allow me to be the generous in the way that I'm supposed to be and in the way that God's called me to be and in a place where I bring people closer to him because of my generosity? Then that becomes a different question. When I say I want to offer the life-changing love of Jesus Christ to the world and to all people, is that really what I mean or do I just mean my people? Y'all are all my people. But when I say I want to offer the life-changing love of Christ, do I just mean lover's lane? When I say I want to offer the life-changing love of Jesus Christ and be generous in a way that changes lives in a moment, do I mean when it's just convenient? When I say I want to offer the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, do I mean it if it takes me away from being able to do what I want to do? I'll be honest with you. I had to really stop and think about that. And my answers weren't the answers they should have been. But they are the answers that I want them to get to. I do want to be that person that can lay my greed aside and go, you know what, this person needs it more than I do. Or hey, I just want to hug that person because I know that they just need a hug today. Or hey, I want to leave a purple box on someone's desk because that's their favorite color and it brings a smile to their face and reminds them of God's love for them. I want to be that kind of person. Some of you are showing me how to be that kind of person. When you work for Stan Copeland, you have no other choice but to learn how to be that person. What do you want to give in order to offer the life-changing love of Christ? Because you know what? Every day, here's the point I want to close with. Every day, we have the opportunity. Every day. To offer the life-changing love of God. Every day. When you leave here, I guarantee you, within 10 minutes of being in this place, you're going to have an opportunity to be generous. But here's what I've learned, too, about it. Is in my greed, if I'm not careful, I'm too self-absorbed in what I want, what I think I need, and where I am, that I forget sometimes in that moment that God is saying, Pay attention. Pay attention. I get so wrapped up in what Jeff said. I get so wrapped up in being holy. How many know what I'm talking about? In being holy that I forget to live holy. And yet the greatest example God ever gave us is when he sat with his disciples and he said, you know what? I'm going to give my body. And I'm going to take this bread 
And I want you to take this in remembrance of me because I want you to know and never, ever, ever, ever forget my generosity to you. Because it will exceed anything you will ever have or need or know. And then he takes the wine, right? And he says, this is my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. Now here's the deal. As we prepare for this time and remembering God's generosity to us, this isn't Lover's Lane's table. This isn't mine and Jeff's table or Don's table or Crosswalk table. This is God's. And every single person in this room is welcome. Every single person. There is nothing that you can say. There is nothing that you can do that God will ever take his generosity away from you. Maybe you're sitting there and you look and you go, Didi, you don't know. You just don't know. And here's the deal. You're right. I don't. But God does. And God says, here. It doesn't matter. Here. I love you right where you are. And I'm going to give you that love. And I'm going to pour that love into your life. And it's never going away. The greatest example of generosity.